0: Well, this topic this morning, just uh, obviously there's a number of questions about God's Word and how we are to understand it. And So this is really important for us to think about the authority. Christianity is one of a small number of religions that actually claims to be based on communication from God. You've got Judaism, of course that's the Old Testament, Christianity flows out of that. And then you've got Islam. And they've got the Quran and their other teachings. But then you've got Christianity. And so because we base our faith in Christ on the fact that God has revealed himself to us, it becomes very important for us to understand the importance of the authority of God's word. 20th century theologian Langdon Gilkey has said that the fundamental, foundational, most crucial, that's a lot, of all questions, for any religion, is that of authority. Where is the locus of authority? So for, that, for us, that's in God's Word. And so Christianity clearly answers that question. We've got Genesis to Revelation. That's where it resides. It's not on what you think, what I think. It's not even on the history of the church. It's found in God's Word. So the Dutch theologian Herman Bobnik rightly says that Christianity stands or falls with the reality of Revelation. So we come to our topic this morning, whether it's does the Bible speak to us today or how can we trust that the Bible is the Word of God? All eyes are on God's Word this morning and the authority that it plays in our lives. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17, we could also look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. These become central verses for recognizing this as God's authority. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed. This is the very breath of God, the very words of God. And it's profitable. Does it speak to us today? Yes. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Why? That those who follow Jesus may be adequate, equipped for every, not some, but every good work. We are equipped for living. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, uh, the Apostle Peter talks about that this is not just one's own interpretation, what is written here. Holy men of God spoke as they were carried along or as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God was bringing this message about. And so for many Christians, especially the older generation, you could go to these two passages and that's enough. I was asking at our dinner table this past week how they would answer that question. And my mother-in-law says, well, the Bible says it is the Word of God. And for her generation, that's sufficient. But our world has changed in many ways, unfortunately. And when we actually consider the question of truth, truth has become relative, hasn't it? Person A has their version of truth. Person B has their version of truth. Even if we all agree this is the authoritative word of God, you've got four of you on this, four of you on that, four of you on this, pick and choose. Where is truth in the midst of all of this? Some would even say that the Bible was created out of a certain cultural context. That was truth for them. Times have changed. And so therefore we need to create our own truth. But well, when you really start paying attention to that, it's no longer a theocentric truth. It's now become an anthropocentric or a human-centered truth. We create truth. That's not true in Christianity. Truth comes from God. And He's given us His authoritative Word. And that's what we want to consider this morning. And so let's ask God to help us uh, with this. Lord, we pray that You would use this time this morning to stir in our hearts. You know what each of our needs are. And Lord, you've obviously guided me in a direction, so we believe for such a time as this, all of us are here together, and I'm up here speaking, and you want to do a work. So Holy Spirit, have your way in us. We give this time to you, we give our lives to you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I really need three weeks to unpack this topic, and at the Anaheim campus this morning, they said, ah, when you get the Bray, you can preach as long as you want. So they gave me permission to just preach forever. So I've got three sermons that I like to do. now I really do have three sermons. And I'd like to divide th- this morning up into three parts. First of all, as I thought about this topic, I thought there's some preliminary things that I want to say. And each one of these, I could actually unpack. And these preliminary points could be a full-blown sermon. But then in the middle... I want us to consider a rationale for why this is the truth of God's Word. It says it right here in 2 Timothy 3, 2 Peter 1, other passages like that. But what would be a rationale that we could use that this is God's Word? But I also want to get to the third part. Let's assume, and I'm hoping that we simply want to ask the question, we want to think about, Is this God's truth? Does it still speak to us today? But I'm assuming that most of you here today would say, absolutely, this is the Word of God. So, what should be our response to the fact that God has spoken to us authoritatively? What does that mean for us? And so, those are the three parts. Let me begin with some preliminary thoughts on this topic the authority of God's Word. First, I want us to understand that God's authoritative special revelation goes beyond what we hold in our hands, in our Bibles, or on our phones, wherever the Word of God might be for us. It goes beyond that. I mean, think about it. When you get to the early church, they're casting lots. Judas is no longer there, so they're going to replace, and so they can have the 12, and they cast lots. I, I don't think board meetings at this church we probably cast lots uh, to make decisions, but God has worked that way. The Urim and the Thummim, two words maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't, were a part of the priest's garments, and when they were seeking the Lord and trying to make decisions, they could use these two stones to make decisions. Urim, Thummim, which way does God want us to go? God's mighty acts are God's authoritative special revelation. The parting of the waters of the Red Sea. How many of you have ever seen that? Well, when God shows up and does that, That's God's authoritative revealing he is almighty God. Dreams, visions, the actual face-to-face, God communicating to people, prophets who said, thus saith the Lord. God actually said this. And so we've got a number of ways that God has revealed Himself. But at least today, regardless of whether you believe about dreams or visions or whatever, we can at least say God has spoken here and this is authoritative. And so we're going to let that be our beginning point. Second, as far as preliminary thoughts, I want to state that ultimately the answer to this question, is, is this the actual truth of God's Word, is something that we can't prove. We're going to have to receive this by faith. In the same way that we receive God by faith. There's a lot of rational good arguments for the existence of God. I think you were exploring that some last week and maybe even previous weeks. But it's it's by faith that we actually receive this. And all of us are putting our faith somewhere. You know, I don't want to reduce it down to faith. I want fact. No, everybody's putting faith somewhere into some kind of religious teaching. And then third, I want us to understand that it's important that although... There have been challenges to the authority of God's Word, and we've got our own contemporary challenges today. Throughout the history of the Bible, challenges have been there. And it's important for us to understand that this book has withstood each and every challenge along the way. I was recently in Asia and working, I work with an organization that is training underground church leaders in persecuted countries, and one of the groups that we're working with is North Korea. And I want you to know, despite the fact that that government wants to suppress the truth of God's Word, they want to make it illegal to hold God's Word, they want to keep the Word of God out, they will not allow you to bring it in, you have to smuggle it in. Despite all of their efforts, God's Word continues to reign in North Korea. Amen? I mean, it continues to move in there. It is getting in there. People are being discipled. The church is growing in North Korea. God can't be stopped. People will die for this truth too. I was in Nigeria also recently and I was talking to a group of pastors and it got a little intense as we were talking through some things of God's Word and I found out later on that one of the pastors that was particularly animated, 16 people in his church in the past year have died for their faith in Jesus Christ. 16. Talked to another lady, she said, there's 18 churches in our district, 17 have been burned down in the last year. The idea of Boko Haram, the Fulani herdsmen, Islamic jihadists, people will die for their faith. I think fourth, it's important us to remind ourselves that when we ask questions like this, is the Bible God's truth for us today? Does it speak to us today? We've got to realize that we are operating from a context, a culture, where we can actually hold God's word in our hand. Think about the unreached people groups in the world. There's over 10,000, whatever number we would want to come up with. Of all the unreached people groups in the world, 40% still do not have a Bible in their language. You see, they're not debating whether this is truth or not. They don't even have access to it. And so we've got to keep that in mind that it's even, we might call it a privilege to be able to ask such questions or we might even say, It's foolishness to ask such questions. God has spoken, and we have his word in our hand. There's other parts of the world where the gospel does exist, but the Bible is still not in their language. People have come to know the Lord, and they still can't open up the pages of Scripture and read its content. They are begging for the Bible in their language, not debating whether it's truth or not. They're begging for it because they understand its power to transform in their own lives. In other words, this question really only exists in parts of the world where God's revelation is so deeply ingrained, so accessible, that it's no longer revered, but rather is taken for granted and even attacked. And so we need to keep that in mind as well. Fifth, and this was really impacting for me as I thought about this particular topic, Ultimately, what we're dealing with, this is a spiritual issue. Whether or not this is the truth of God's Word is spiritually discerned. Now, think about that for just a moment. Jesus was very strong about this. In John chapter 10, making it very clear that he's the good shepherd and that he's got sheep. And Jesus says, my sheep, they actually hear my voice. They know that it's my voice. Now, so think about it. God's sheep actually will receive His revelation as His word. Why? Because they have ears to hear the shepherd's voice. That's a spiritually discernment issue that is there. And so whether eyes are opened or ears are opened is something that God does. Also think about these particular verses. I do want to read these. I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to go through a lot of verses Then I have a cheat sheet here for most of them. It's going to allow me to go really fast. Um, but just to hang with me because we've got a lot of ground to cover. But in John chapter 8, and especially in verses 44 to 47, I mean, listen to the way Jesus says this. He says, if God was your, were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative. But he sent me. Why do you, underst- why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. Now, why? You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. It goes on in verse 47. He is of God, hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. You hear that? When you do not hear that this is the Word of God, it it can be because you don't belong to God. Now, I'm not saying it's not legitimate to ask the questions, does the Bible speak to us today? Can we really prove that this is the Word of God? But I am saying we need to hear that this is a spiritual issue. So the question of whether or not this is the truth of God oftentimes comes from ears that are closed or eyes that are blind. Consider the opposite. Passages like 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In the case, in their case, talking about those who don't believe, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. So when we stand here in judgment on God's word and say, prove to me that this is truth, oftentimes that comes from a heart, a disposition, where eyes are closed Ears are closed because this is spiritually discerned. Those who belong to the Father hear the voice of the Father. Those who cannot hear the gospel, it's because Satan has blinded their minds. And so that's a little bit sobering for us to think through. In other words, where is your heart with God's word this morning? Are you hearing it? Are you receiving it? Are you standing back and questioning whether this is authoritative or not? This really could be a spiritual issue. Now, having said all that, I still think it's legitimate for us to move into the second part of what I want to say today, which is to provide some kind of rationale for whether or not we can believe this is God's Word. To go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and say, see, God's Word says it is God's Word, is like saying that this chair down here is safe to sit in because the chair says it's safe to sit in. You say, you know, I want to know a little bit beyond what the chair thinks. And so we might want to ask a little bit beyond... What the Bible says as to whether or not this could be approved to be the truth of God's word, does it speak to us today? So we want, to, we want to go into that, but let me begin with the importance of this topic. It's really important for us to understand the importance of this topic. What is at stake as to what we do with God's Word? What's at stake if you reject? What's at stake if you accept? Because both, both have a stake. When you reject this as being the truth of God's Word, listen to what God's Word says. Romans 1, verse 18, 21, and 25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth, who suppress it, who push it away, who want nothing to do with it by their wickedness. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became Futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You see, that's what's at stake: the wrath of God being poured out. Listen to Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses nine through twelve. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. You see, that's what's at stake. If you reject this, if you push this away, damnation is what awaits you, separation from God. But there's also something at stake if you choose to say this is the truth of God's word. James 1.22 says, makes it very clear, don't just hear God's Word, do it. Don't just hear it, do it, live it out. That's what's at stake for us. If we say this is the truth of God, then we have the responsibility to yield our lives to everything that is said in here, and that could come at a price. Recently, our women's soccer team, the United States women's soccer team, has enjoyed some great success. I read an article recently of a woman who Probably should have been on the team, that's debatable, but she's a top flight women's soccer player. But a few years ago, back in 2015, when the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling legalized same sex marriage, she publicly proclaimed, I believe with every fiber in my body that what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible is undoubtedly true. And then she tweeted or put on Instagram, this world may change, but Christ in his word never will. She took a stand on God's word. In 2017, she was playing on the U- U.S. Women's National Team and they wanted to celebrate Gay Pride Month. So they had special team jerseys to celebrate Gay Pride Month. And she was struggling with this. And this is what she said, I just felt so convicted in my spirit that it wasn't my job to wear that jersey. I gave myself three days just to seek and pray and determine what God was seeking me to do in this situation. And she chose not to put on that jersey, and she chose not to play in those games. Many would say she should have been on the women's soccer team, but she took a stand. In other words, she believes that this is the truth of God's Word, and she yielded to it. There's something at stake there if we're going to yield according to the truths of God's precious Word. Well, let's think about this for just a moment. There are some points that we can consider about this. And we're going to go through these somewhat quickly. Some might say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I just don't know what to do with the truth of this word. Well, let's consider what Jesus did with the truth of this word. First, let's go to his temptation, Matthew chapter 4. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus. This is the beginning of his ministry out to the wilderness. Satan comes and is going to give him everything he can to trip Jesus up and lead his heart astray. And three times Satan comes and and three times the Lord answers Satan with what? God's Word. And even thinking about Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 where Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 and he says, Man shall not live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus says, this word is life-giving. So when Jesus looked at these holy men of God who spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, that's authoritative. I will live my life by that. Also think about the fact that Jesus consciously patterned his life and ministry to fulfill Scripture. Now he knew exactly where his life was going. He knew why he came to earth to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew exactly what that was going to mean. Death, burial, and resurrection. He knew that he was going to be mocked and beaten and spit upon. But in Matthew chapter 16 verse 21. Jesus clearly told his disciples. The son of man must suffer. Why? Because the Bible has said so. It's authoritative. It will come to pass. Third. Every time Jesus encountered any kind of controversy with religious leaders or other people of the day, where did Jesus go? He went to the Bible. Why? Because that was authoritative. So the lawyer asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what, what does the Bible say? That's where Jesus goes for his answer. When there's a question about the resurrection by the Sadducees, what does Jesus do? He goes to Scripture. Scripture. When, when he's in a controversy with a Pharisee about following the tradition of elders, the leaders, the religious leaders, his disciples weren't doing all the ceremonial washings. What does Jesus do? He goes to Scripture. In Matthew 19, Jesus dealing with the question about divorce. What does Jesus do? He goes back to Genesis 2.24. He deals with it by going to Scripture. That's how Jesus deals with those particular issues. So for Jesus, if we're going to say I'm a follower of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He based his life on the authority of God's Word, and he lived that out. Did it speak to Jesus? Yes, it spoke to Jesus and gave him the way that he was to live his life. Well, some might say, well, of course, Jesus did because he was God. What about his followers? Well, when we watch what happens after Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit's gonna come. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit's gonna guide them in all truth, and and specifically through the disciples, the apostles, God's word continues to unfold. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, Listen, I've proclaimed the gospel to you. Don't listen to anything else. This is the gospel, it is the authority. He goes on in Galatians 1, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one already preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, death, burial, resurrection, let him be accursed. Not true, because this is the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection. That is truth. It is authoritative. And there's other passages like 2 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians 2.15, we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as not the word of men, but actually as it is the word of God. So as Paul's writing out all of these letters, he's realizing this is the word of God. And they were followers of the word of God too. Well, let's fast forward a little bit. Well, maybe that was good for them back then, but how about in a more contemporary situation? Now, this is not really contemporary, but I like this particular example. R.A. Torrey, who lived at the end of the 1800s and the early 1900s, he worked at Moody Bible Institute, Moody Church. He actually came out to California because he wanted another Moody out on the West Coast. And so, what was birthed? Bible Institute of Los Angeles, now Biola University. He was the first pastor at Church of the Open Door. But yet he came to a time in his life where he realized he had his parents' faith. This is what he said. He faced the same question that we're entertaining this morning. I was brought up to believe that the Bible was the Word of God. In early life, I accepted it as such upon the authority of my parents. Never gave the question any serious thought But later in life, my faith in the Bible was utterly shattered through the influence of the writings of a very celebrated scholarly and brilliant skeptic. I found myself face to face with the question, why do you believe the Bible is the word of God? I had no satisfactory answer. And so he goes on this quest to try to understand. And when he comes out of it, he believes without a shadow of a doubt, this is God's word. It does speak to us today. It is the truth that God has referred, reserved for us and been passing down throughout the generations. So there are a number of arguments that he sets forth, and I just want to go through those quickly. Number one, the ground of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so we've already talked about that. Jesus looked at the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms or the writings as the authoritative word of God. He brought it in his life. He actually lived it out. Number two, on the ground of its fulfilled prophecies. So again, all these Old Testament prophecies culminating in Jesus, the probability of all of these prophecies falling on one individual who actually led, um, fulfilled them and lived them in his life, Tory says, on that ground. Number three, on the ground of the unity of the book, he said, you go from beginning to end, thousands of years have passed, People of all different walks of life, all different cultures, perspectives, and yet we have this molded into one book, a common theme from Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent, the Genesis chapter 12, and Abram, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed, through Isaiah 53, God's going to put our sin on him, to Jesus' coming, death, burial, and resurrection. Up until the ultimate triumph that we find in the book of Revelation. There is a common theme. Humanity is separated from God. And God has put all of his energy into restoring that fellowship. So humanity can give him the glory to his name. Tory said on that ground. Number four. On the ground of the immeasurable superiority of the teachings of the Bible. To those of any other and all books. Now this is debatable. But this is what Tory came up with. First, the Bible has nothing but truth. Other books, they have truth and some error. Second, the Bible contains all truth. In other words, no other book could ever add to any truth that's already in the Bible. Third, the Bible contains more truth than all the other books combined. And so on that ground, he said, this is the authority of God's word. Number five, on the ground of the history of the book, it's victory over attack. And he talks about through 18 centuries, like we've already talked about today, the Bible has been under attack. It has withstood everyone. They've tried to suppress it. They've tried to get rid of it. But God has protected it. It is His truth, and it's for people of all time. So Tory said on that ground. And then number six and number seven are related. Number six, He says, on the ground of the character of those who accept and of those who reject the book. He says, just look at people. People who accept the book, there's something fundamentally different about their lives. Look at the people who reject the book. There's something fundamentally distinct about their lives too. And I'm going to follow these people over here. I want my life to look like that. Well, number seven, he said, on the ground of the influence of the book, very similar He's talking about the impact that the Word has on people. It's the power of God unto salvation. It has that kind of impact on people. We can also think that faith, in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. That's the kind of influence it has. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It gets into your heart. It messes with people's lives It brings about change. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible. Those words come into our mind and there's a transformation that takes place. Mind, heart, life. Tori says, on that ground, I believe that it is the truth of God. No other book has ever had that kind of impact on people. When I was studying this, I was also listening to some music and Hillsong Worship, the song Remembrance came on. And And the words were this and they were so powerful to think about Oh, you've been so, so good to me. Now listen to the next line. Oh, to think where I would be. Can anyone resonate with that today? Oh, to think where I would be apart from God's Word and His transforming work in our lives. I was at a Middle East summit in Berlin, Germany, and a bunch of Middle East leaders were gathered there, and we were hearing testimonies about what God's doing in underground work, frontline ministry, it's almost like they rehearsed it. Three items were almost in every report. Number one, the Jesus film. That film has that impact around the world. It's amazing. Number two, computer technology. Websites where people can click on buttons and learn more about Jesus. Number three, God's word being translated into that language unparalleled in transforming people's lives. And Tori says, that influence On that ground, I base that it's God's truth. Number eight, on the ground of the inexhaustible depth of the book. I love the way he he just referred to the fact that you you can exhaust the human book, understand, but the Bible, you just continue to get in. It refers to George Mueller who read it throughout his life, but he concludes with this, a book that man produces, uh, a, a book that man produces, man can exhaust. But all men together have not been able to get to the bottom of this book right here. I've heard one person once say that the Bible is like an ocean. You can dip your toe in the shallow end and you can't swim to the bottom. It's that kind of book. And Tori said, on that ground. On that ground. And number 10, on the ground of the direct testimony of the Holy Spirit. Again, talking about my sheep hear my voice, the Holy Spirit who gives ears to hear and eyes to see. But what I really want us to get to here in these final minutes is to think about, we already know what's at stake. If you reject it, eternal damnation, if you accept it, you actually get the the life abundant now and eternal to come. What should be our response if this is the truth of God's Word? And if we really believe that today, I want us to give us some points that we need to seriously consider. Number one, We should be humble. We should be humble. God has spoken. Left to our own, all we have is foolishness. But God in his love and mercy has spoken wisdom, a way of salvation. I mean, where would we be? Watching the news and all the stuff that's going on and people say, what in the world? Where's this world going? We can rest in God in His Word and have comfort. We should humble. We need God's revelation. That's why we search it out daily because we need it. It's not a verse a day keeps the devil away. It's immersing ourselves in God's Word because we need it. We are dependent on it. But we also should be thankful. God's revelation is a gift to us. God didn't have to speak to us. God didn't have to reach down to humanity and say, I've got some things I want you to know. In fact, everything you need is right here. If you got any questions, go here. We should be thankful to that especially in light of the many people groups who do not even have access to the word. We probably have multiple copies. We've got them on our phones. We've got it everywhere. 40% of the world still no Bible. we have one. We should also should be number 3 receptive. We've got to stop depending on our own ideas. We, we can't just have truth based on what we think. And I'm concerned about the generation of young people coming up. They passionately believe things. And when you ask them why, they don't go to God's word. Their beliefs are really anchored somewhere else. In fact, I was recently in um, Brazil. And before I came to this particular church, the pastor got online, wanted to watch some of my videos. And he said, hey, I watched your debate on gender. I said, well, good. He said, I disagree with you on your view. I said, well, that's fine. I'm, I'm not asking everyone to agree with my view. What verses in the Bible most help you with understanding your particular viewpoint? He goes, oh, I, it's not, I, I don't know the verses that talk about gender. I just disagree with you. I'm sitting there thinking, listen, if you're going to disagree with me, and you're going to have passionate thoughts about why you disagree with me, you need to anchor those in God's Word. And so we need to be receptive. We need to receive God's Word. We need it. We should be thankful for it. We should receive it and yield ourselves to it. And if we're going to believe something passionately, anchor it here, right in God's text. But last, just a number of different things that we should. We should delight in Scripture. And we can't force that on ourselves, can we? We can't make ourselves delight, But let me tell you this. Stay the course. Keep on opening it up every day. Learning, learning what God's word says. Putting it into practice. Living it in delight will continue to grow for you. We should tremble in reverential awe. Listen to what Isaiah six two says. This is, the, this is God speaking. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word trembles you see we can take this for granted we can be nonchalant about it and we can lose sight of the fact that when we open up our bibles this is thus saith the lord god is speaking to us and there ought to be a sober trembling before god's words i'm sorry this thing's making noise I, i don't know what to do here but we should tremble at this god has spoken We have his word. There should be a reverential awe. It shouldn't be just like, "Ah, I know that verse. There should be a sense in which we're constantly receiving that trembling at at the word that's being given to us. Third, we should crave and earnestly desire God's word. Again, you can't make that happen, but I'm telling you, make it a habit. Continue to look to God's Word. You'll find that God's Word gives you hope, gives you confidence, gives you perspective. And the more you see that, the more you're going to crave it and be thankful for it and desire it. Number four, we need to diligently seek understanding of God's Word and its wisdom. I love Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. I remember studying this about a year and a half ago, and it just, bam, it hit me. My son, listen, if. You accept my words and store up my commands within within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as if it was silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Diligently seek to understand it. Eager desire plus prayer plus study equals understanding. But we've got to treat this as a manual where we really dive into it. Again, meditate on Scripture number five, Psalm 1, and Psalm 1, 2, Joshua 1, 7, and 8. Again, just putting our minds on it. We can be so quick to read God's Word, put it down, walk away from it, and then deal with life instead of read God's Word and take it with us as we deal with life. Because this is the life-giving source that God wants us to use. But number six we could take a whole week on this. Obey Scripture. Obey it. Can I just challenge you to think about something? How many sermons have you listened to in the last year? How many Bible studies have you attended? And out of all of that hearing, how, how much of that hearing has actually led to obedience in your life? Or have we become a generation of churchgoers that simply just hear sermons and then go our merry way? Do we actually hear sermons and yield ourselves to it and we find that it's transforming our lives? Every word that comes out of this Bible that God has given us is something that we are to yield to and we're to correct our lives. There's to be repentance, there's to be change, transformation that takes place. Do we simply look at a sermon or a Bible study and say that was good or that was not very good or that was interesting or that was not very interesting or are we receiving it? And saying, Lord, what would you have me to do in light of this? How would you have me to live in light of this? God's word is amazing that we can hold in our hands. Amen? It's amazing that God has spoken to us. And this is life. Moses said to the generation of Israelites, I'm putting before you right now death and life. Or was it Joshua? One of those great individuals. Choose life. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. Choose life. Does the Bible speak to us today? Yes, it does. Choose life. Let's pray together.